We're on the Gospel of John, going through it as a series. This morning we're in the sixth chapter. There's a couple of topics uh, in this morning's section of Scripture uh, that I thought I would address before we actually get to the passage that we're going to be looking at, uh, because it'll usually bring up some questions. In fact, you uh, sometimes in conversations with me will ask me, Uh, some questions about the Bible, about theology, and these are a couple that are brought up. Uh, The first one that I want to talk about is what is called the unpardonable sin. And occasionally there's someone will get a little bit nervous that maybe they've committed it. And, uh, you know, if you commit the unpardonable sin, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm done, I'm finished, nothing I can do matters now. And so you'll ask me and a little bit nervous about that. So uh, the issue of the unpardonable sin is part of what we'll look at this morning. And so let me just tell you that that was a sin that you committed during the time of Jesus and that, uh, that uh, you couldn't commit it today. Uh, Jesus isn't here physically. Uh, it was committed by some during his time and he addresses uh, this issue. And so let me just uh, read about that. Luke chapter 12 verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Now, that was very specific, and as he gives this passage, and uh, this is how that was committed. In Matthew 12, 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And so Jesus is healing people by the thousands, walking on the water, feeding people. I mean, he's just doing thousands and thousands of miracles. And the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, do not want people following him and believing him. And so they make this declaration. He is doing what he is doing by the power of the devil. And Jesus addresses that and basically says, this is the sin that's unpardonable, attributing what I do and the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of the devil. Um, And so... And then that is played out this morning in the passage that we will look at because there is a consequence that comes into the life of these leaders. And the consequence is that Jesus begins to teach them in parables. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say this, that Jesus used parables as a teaching technique to help make the word clear. No, no. Parables were a judgment And Jesus taught in parables that they wouldn't and couldn't understand because of what they had done. In Luke 8.10, he said to you, he's speaking to the disciples, those who were close to him, to you it has been granted to know, understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, that is these individuals that committed this sin, it is in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so parables were not a, a teaching technique, they were a judgment against those who had committed this unpardonable sin of saying that everything that Jesus did, he did under the power of the devil. And, um, and so this story that we're going to read this morning, uh, it's actually a sermon that Jesus preaches, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's very symbolic in, that, in what he uses, and they just don't get it. As he preaches and shares this message that we'll read this morning, the leaders, the Pharisees, it makes no sense to them whatsoever. It just goes uh, in one ear and out the other over their heads, and they become, uh, they just get tied in knots over what he teaches. And a major reason is because they commit, have committed this sin of attributing the work of Jesus to the power of the devil, and therefore they're experiencing the consequence that is uh, they can't understand and they won't understand because of what they did. 
So that was one issue. The other issue that I get asked about regularly that's going to show up in this passage this morning is the topic of predestination. You'll come up to me and say, you know, I, I was reading in Ephesians, I was reading here, and I don't understand this predestination thing. It does, does I mean, we don't have any choice or any free will and involved in that. And so let me share with you uh, my theology on this, and there are those who would, if you would read, and uh, would be different, but uh, this is where I'm coming from, and uh, this is what I will preach and teach to you regularly. And I would say to you, if you ask me this question, that God's uh, predestination is, to, is based on his foreknowledge. Uh, Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So it's difficult for us to understand being finite individuals who don't know anything more than right here. But God, in his infinite knowledge, knows everything. He knows the future. And he knows exactly how we will respond given a certain set of situations. So on the basis of that foreknowledge, he then predetermines, 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to, to an obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so he does that causing, uh, he does the drawing, he does the predestining on the basis of his foreknowledge. The fact that he knows how I will respond and you will respond. He knows before we are ever born, uh, before anything existed, God in his infinite knowledge knows it all. Second uh, Peter 3.9 basically communicates what we have as a driving force in our church. The Lord is not slow about his promise, but as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any, for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, the will of God is that every individual that, uh, would, would come to faith in Jesus and that, that they would not perish. First Timothy 2, 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires, who wants all men, every person to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And uh, he wants that, he desires that, and that drives us as a church. Everything we do is designed to seek people, to draw them close to Jesus, uh, believing that that is his will. Okay, those are two, uh, uh, those are extra. Uh, you get a bonus today uh, in, in the sermon. So now we'll move back to John chapter 6, verse 31 through 70. And he says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know that uh, uh, the, the, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and they're out in the desert, and there's no gardens any place they can't find a grocery store, God feeds them miraculously uh, to this stuff called manna. I don't know if you know where that word came from. Uh, the first morning they got up, and there it was on the ground, kind of like snow, like frost. Their response was, what the heck is this stuff? Or something like that. Now, that, that, the word for that little statement is manna. And so that's what they called it, manna. What is this? Exodus chapter 16, verse 14. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness 
there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? That's the Hebrew word manna. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Exodus 16.31, The house of Israel named it manna. It was like a coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. I wonder, you think it was gluten-free? Uh, probably had a perfect balance of protein and carbs and because uh, that's all I had basically in some quail for 40 years. Exodus 16, 31, the sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years. Every morning they went up and picked it up off the ground. It miraculously appeared until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Psalm 78, 24, he rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. It's what angels eat, so... Uh, whatever is good for angels, healthy, uh, diet-wise, that's what they got. And so Jesus is doing a little sermon uh, to, the, to the Jewish people, and he begins with this statement about the nation of Israel being fed manna from heaven. And he goes on and says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, and I remember whenever he says this, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am, I am uh, the bread of life. So you remember, I talked to you previously about this. The word I am is sort of the name of God the Father. Given uh, in the burning bush to Moses. When Moses said, what's your name? He said, I am. And so Jesus, uh, a dozen times, says, I am, I am, I am. And it really makes the Jews mad because he's saying, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. And he says it again here. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me, believes in me, Jesus says, believes in me. That's believing that Jesus is indeed God believing that he came to this earth and became flesh man like us, uh, believe that he lived a sinless life, believe that he was nailed to a cross and while he hung there, my sins, yours, were put on him. He became that sin. God the Father punished Jesus in our place for our sin. He died on that cross, was buried, and he rose from the dead and he's alive today. That's the gospel. Uh, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe they didn't believe. They attributed what he did to the devil. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling. They were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. 
They shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, again, he's saying, here's something important. Pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, you'll notice that as Jesus goes along here, as they just sort of struggle with this whole thing, he goes a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and it gets a little bit more difficult to grasp. And so he does that here. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, truly, 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 I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. This is a tough one. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the foreknowledge of God, knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Many withdrew, were not walking with him anymore. They couldn't just get their, their head around this one. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom? Shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Uh, you are the coming one. So I want to talk to you this morning, and if you have in your bulletin, uh, your notes will fill in those blanks. Uh, we, we can term the sermon this morning uh, the theology of communion, uh, what it means to eat the flesh and, the, and drink the blood of Jesus, uh, God. Let me read to you from Luke 22. This is not too much after this event when the, uh, the, the disciples are eating with Jesus in the upper room, what is termed the Last Supper, just before he's crucified on a cross. And so when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this, do this, in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then later in 1 Corinthians, uh, Jesus teaches this. This is prior to his death. And 
the disciples really didn't quite understand it either, but later after the church is formed and people are coming to Jesus and they're meeting together like we are this morning, the Apostle Paul uh, actually got a privilege that very few get to do. He got to go to heaven and come back again. And while he was there, he got some special insight. God gave him some instructions about uh, living for him, and he writes it to us in the in the New Testament, in the epistles of Paul. And so he writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord, I received from the Lord. That is, you know, you hear people say all the time, God told me this, God told me that. Well, with Paul, it was pretty much literal. He was there face to face. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, as a church, we celebrate a communion, and it's based on uh, the instruction of the New Testament. So let me talk to you a minute about it so we understand what it is. Number one in your notes, the communion service is the symbol of the new covenant. The symbol of the new covenant. <clears throat> now there are seven covenants. A covenant is an agreement. It's a relationship between two people based on promise. I have a covenant with my wife. Uh, we uh, started this at our marriage and and a preacher said, do you? I said, I do, I will. He said to my wife, do you? She said, I do, I will. And uh, we gave each other rings as a symbol of the covenant that we had made, the promises that we made on our wedding day. So God made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, he made a covenant with Adam in the very beginning. He made a covenant with Noah. Uh, the covenant with Moses as he went up on the mountain for 40 days, was a fairly big deal covering all the nation of Israel, and that's the one that's referred to as the Old Covenant. All the commands in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, the Ten Commandments, were all part of the Old Covenant. Uh, and then there was the New Covenant uh, that came as a result of Jesus and his death on the cross that we now live under. And so this, the communion service is the symbol, the sign even as a ring is the symbol or the sign of the covenant between a husband and a wife. Luke 22:20. 20, this cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant. 1 Corinthians 11:25. This cup, uh, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant. New covenant in, in my blood. The new covenant, the agreement with God that he promised us is that you believe, you believe the gospel. Jesus is God. He came into the world just like us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was nailed to a cross while he hung there. Your sins were put on him, and God punished him in your place for your sins. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He's alive today. If you believe the gospel, then you're adopted into the family of God. Your sins are forgiven, and you're given the gift of eternal life in heaven forever. That's a covenant, a promise that he's made. Uh, and the, the communion service is a symbol of that reminds us every time we do it hebrews eight thirteen, when he said a new covenant is made the first obsolete but whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to disappear genesis nine thirteen. this is the symbol of the covenant with noah i set my bow the rainbow in the cloud it shall be for a sign 
of a covenant between me and the earth. And so the rainbow was the symbol or the sign of the covenant made with Noah. Uh, Exodus 31, this is the uh, old covenant, the covenant uh, that Moses received. So the sons of Israel still observe the Sabbath. Uh, Occasionally some of you will ask me, I just read through the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus and it says there that we're to keep the Sabbath. Uh, I said, well, that's the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. The Sabbath is Saturday. There's some who believe to do that, but that was basically a, a symbol or a sign for those under the old covenant. And every Saturday they celebrated it, reminding themselves of that covenant that was given to them, given to Moses on the mountain, uh, Israel. The sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh he ceased from labor and was refreshed. So every one of the seven covenants, there's a symbol or a sign that people practice regularly to remind them of the covenant for us under the new covenant because of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and our hope of eternal life in heaven, uh, the communion service, uh, the bread and the cup that represents the body and the blood of Jesus is a symbol of the new covenant. Number two, the communion service for us who believe in Jesus is a reminder to examine our own life and confess all known sin to God in order to experience his forgiveness and cleansing from sin. <clears throat> Let's pretend that Two seconds after I finish preaching this morning, the strain is too much. My heart gives out and I fall over dead on the floor. And a number of you scream. Some of you run up, loosen my shirt, uh, uh, give me artificial uh, whatever, but I'm gone. I'm in heaven. And, uh, And so the Bible says it is appointed unto man to die, then comes the judgment. First judgment is, are you a believer or not? I am. Okay, we take care of that. Now the next thing is we stand before Jesus, it says, and give an accounting of our life, and we're recompense rewarded for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad, whether good or bad. And so I'm standing before Jesus, and a book has opened up. And one side is all the good things I've done that have blessed you, that I get rewarded for. The other thing are the sins I've committed. And he opens up the book, and he looks under the side where the sins are listed, and he says, eh, blank. Is that cool or what? Yeah. Nothing there. Nothing there. Now, there is a condition. Now, I'm forgiven uh, and I'm going to heaven, but as I live my life now, um, I need to confess sin. And in fact, Jesus suggested it ought to be done every day. It ought to be done every day. It's not an issue of getting to heaven, but it is an issue of His blessing in my life. Did you know that if you don't examine your life and confess sin that you won't be able to understand the Bible? It won't make any sense to you? Did you know that if you don't examine your life and confess sin to God that uh, He's not going to answer your prayers? Uh, Did you know that if you don't examine your life and confess sin that you're going to just get really tired and sick and possibly even die? Uh, it's a good deal we've been given, but there is a condition. That is that we would look at our life, our own life, not anybody else's. And, and to confess simply means, I did it. It wasn't my mother-in-law's fault. 
Uh, it wasn't because of President Obama. I did it. You own it, you confess it to God. And he says that when we confess sin, he forgives. He takes that sin and separates it from us as far as the east is from the west, casts it into the deepest ocean, never to remember against us again. First uh, uh, Corinthians 11 again, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner, how would you do that? You would do that by failing to examine your life and confessing all known sin to him. He who would take communion in an unworthy manner should be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread, drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak. Who made them weak? God did. And sick? Who made him sick? God did, and a number sleep. That doesn't mean you're taking a nap, that means you're dead. As a judgment for God, from God. Now here's the promise. If we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. Now that is a great deal. God said, all you have to do is just look at your own life, examine your own life, confess all known sin to God, and everything's cool. And if you take care of that every day, you're going to get to heaven, stand before him, and there's going to be a blank page. You're going to be perfect because you have examined your life and confessed all known sin to God. You know the problem is we just forget. And the communion service was designed to be a reminder uh, to examine your own life and confess all known sin to God. I mean, you don't have to beat yourself up. You just have to say, I did it. And know that he forgives he forgives anything, everything. I mean, even if you've done it 10,000 times, he simply says, examine your life and confess all known sin to him. Now, during a communion service, I take care of that right there before I even, even come up um, while the music playing. Now, I knew that we were going to have communion today, so I've already taken care of it. So it'll be fairly quick. But uh, other times you can sort of say, oh, boy, pastor's sitting in his chair a long time. That means I've had a bad week. It's taken a while. But I'm going to examine my life and confess all known sin to God. I'm going to take care of it right there before I ever get out of my seat. So that's done. I don't want this verse to apply to me. Uh, that is that I would be weak and sick and dead because of judgment coming into my life because I took, ate the bread, drank the cup in an unworthy manner. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, sometimes people say, what if I don't remember? Just confess all known sin. All known sin. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You take care of the ones you know, and God takes care of all of them. Again, that's a pretty good deal. Number three, the communion service for us who believe the gospel is a serious reminder to forgive others. 
to forgive others for their sins and offenses towards us because God asked us to and because he has forgiven us. So I've been pastoring almost 40 years, and sometimes people ask me, what do you think is the worst sin a person can commit? Well, I don't know about worst in the sense of, you know, bad, 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 but I can tell you the one I think has the most consequence uh, to us, and that is bitterness. I don't believe there's another thing that we do that creates more consequence in our own life than when we fail to forgive others for the offenses they've committed against us. Because when I don't forgive you, God doesn't forgive me. And if God doesn't forgive me, then all the consequence of unforgiveness sin. I mean, what if there's a person 20 years ago that did something bad to me and I have not forgiven them for 20 years? That means that when I die and stand before Jesus and he opens up the book, there's going to be pages and pages and pages of stuff on the bad side of the ledger. Because ever since that event that I've not forgiven that person for, nothing I've done has been forgiven either. And I can't figure out why my life is so dry and, and uh, I just can't get stuff and it doesn't seem to... I think, boy, doesn't Christianity... I don't, I just don't, I don't seem to have what others do. And it's often just that bitterness. So we need to forgive anybody of anything, no matter how bad it is, no matter how many times they did it, because you say, well, they don't deserve it. It's not an issue of them. It's an issue of us. If we don't forgive, then God doesn't forgive and we have a lot of conflict coming into our life. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. They don't deserve it. Well, neither did you. But he forgave you of everything. Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Matthew 6.14, If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father, your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is basic stuff. Uh, Jesus tells a story about a rich man. Uh, loans a guy billions of dollars. Guy doesn't pay it back. He begs for mercy and he forgives him of the whole thing. That guy that got forgiven of the millions of dollars loans uh, the price of a cup of coffee to a friend and that dude doesn't pay him back and he throws him in jail. So the rich guy hears about it and he says in Matthew 18, his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. That is, hand you over to the torturers if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. What is that? As demons. The devil is real, the demons are real, and God, when we became a believer in Jesus, built a fence around us so they can't touch us. But there's a gate in it. And if you choose not to forgive people and hold on to that and are bitter, the gate gets swung wide open by God and those demons have direct access to your life. That's not a good thing. On my bicycle trip this summer to Portland, Maine, uh, the worst thing on the whole trip were dogs. And we're pedaling down a road, and this dog came out. And that dog was as big as a horse. He is huge. I mean, he was just kind of loping along easy-like, and he was catch catching me, and I was pedaling as fast as I could. There was a fence between us. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that fence. And I'm going, and all of a sudden, the fence ended. No more fence, and the dog came 
uh, across the ditch and up on the road, and I'm, t- I'm pedaling so hard, I'm about ready to have a heart attack, and I know he's going to eat me. And, and then John, the guy pedaling with me, had uh, this horn, this ultrasonic horn, and he saw, and he pedaled up, and he got up behind him, and he blew this horn at the dog, and it, he winced, and off he went. Oh, thank you, thank you. You don't want those demons after you. You want them on the other side of the fence. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you that has turned you over to the tortures if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So, I'm sitting there and we're having communion during worship. I take care of confessing all known sin to God while I'm sitting there. I take care of thinking, is there anybody that's said or done anything that I've not said, Lord, I forgive them. I choose to do that because you forgave me and you've asked me to do that. Big or little, it doesn't matter. I'm going to choose to forgive anybody of anything. If it pops back into my mind, I do it again. And I take care of that. Number four, the communion service for us who believe is a reminder that Jesus is Lord of our life and that we will follow and serve him. He's Lord of our life and he purchased us with his blood. Uh, He paid for our sin. He's given the gift of eternal life to us. We're going to live in heaven. We're going to get a brand new body that isn't going to get old. We're going to be in a place where there's no war and there's no pain and there's no tears and there's no taxes and there's no politics. I mean, there's no Ebola. It's going to be an incredibly wonderful place. I'm not earning it by being good. I'm simply receiving it as a gift because of my faith in Jesus and Him alone. And so He, I owe Him my life. And, uh, When I'm uh, sitting there, I take care of confessing all known sin to God. I make sure there's nobody that I have any bitterness towards. When I got that cleared, then I come up and I kneel. And when I kneel and put my arms, forearms on the stage here, I say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. You're Lord, King, Master of my life. And I will follow you, I will serve you, I will do whatever you ask, no matter difficult no matter how difficult or how hard it is. I owe that to you. Uh, you purchased me. John 6, 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, you have been bought with a price, that is that of uh, the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, therefore glorify God in your body. Number five, the communion service for us who believe in Jesus is a picture and reminder that our strength to live life with victory comes from him. So if you get about 11 o'clock and you're working hard and you get kind of weak and wimpy and and lightheaded, what do you do? I eat a Snickers. (laughs) Bowl of ice cream works too. Sandwich. Uh, You recognize that uh, you need something to eat in order to have some energy. And so when we eat the bread as a picture of the body of Jesus, we're saying, I can do anything. You are my strength. You are my power. I can accomplish your will through all that you give me. I can live a life of victory because of your strength, your power. Uh, John 6 again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They died. 
This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then, then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, that is, they receive strength from me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. John 15, 4, Abide in me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so when we eat the bread, we're declaring that you are my strength. So I take care of sin right there. I think about anything. I confess all known sin to him. And then I take care of bitterness right there. Think of anybody I might have anything against. And I say, Lord, I forgive them. And then I come up and kneel and I say, you're Lord of my life. You're king, you're master. And then when I pick up the bread, I say, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I eat this bread as an act of faith, believing that you are indeed my Savior, my King, and I'm going to serve you. Thank you for filling me with your spirit and granting me strength to serve you well. Number six, the communion service for those of us who believe in Jesus is a declaration that we love him declaration that we love him. I don't know what you did for Valentine's for your wife. Box of candy, flowers, out to dinner. Maybe you didn't do anything, but you know, most did. Uh, I, I, mine was on Friday instead of Saturday because we had the church banquet over here and so uh, spent $36 and took Patty over here to the Valentine's banquet and uh, she said, yeah, yeah, I'd really like to go to that. And I said, now, we've got to have this agreement before we go, okay? I don't want to dance. She said, no problem, you don't dance very well, so we'll just sit and watch everybody else do that. And so we did. We had a wonderful, the band was unbelievably good. It was so, so wonderful. She had a great time. So $36, wasn't a lot of money, but as a symbol, a picture, declaration, I love you. So whether it was candy, flowers, whatever it was, or a card, it's just saying, I love you. And so I take care of uh, sin over there. I confess all known sin to him. I take care of bitterness sitting back there. I think about anybody I may have anything against, forgive them. Then I come up and I kneel down. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. You're King, you're Master. I take the bread. You're the strength of my life. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Through you, I can do anything that's your will for my life. And as I pick up the cup and drink the cup, I say, Jesus, I love you with every fiber of my being, with every cell in my body. I love you. You're my Savior. You're my God. I love you. John 21 is the last miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. We'll get to it here one of these days. It's when Jesus, he's alive after being crucified, buried, and for 40 days he interacts with his disciples. And the last thing he does really is he cooks breakfast for them. And it's not, uh, you know, he does it like he fed the 5,000 out of nothing. So when they had finished this breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these, pointing to all the boats? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so uh, this is sort of a different communion service, but it was a key. So when I pick up the cup, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. Number seven, the communion service for those of us who believe in Jesus is a reminder that we're going to live with Jesus forever. It isn't that far, really, until he comes or we die and we get our new body and we're in glory for all eternity. So I'm sitting there and I take care of sin. I confess all known sin to God. I think of anybody that might have irritated me, offended me a lot, a little. I, I forgive them totally. I come up, I kneel down. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. You're Lord of my life. I take the bread. You're my strength. You're my strength, my energy. I can do your will through the strength you supply. I pick up the cup. I love you with every fiber of my being. And when I put the cup down, I hope this is the last time. I hope this is the last time that I take communion because I'd like it to be in heaven the next time I do. So wouldn't you come today? John 6.40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Luke 22.15, He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the one and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive will remain, and who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with him. And so... Um, when I put the cup down, ah, I hope the next time I do this, it's in heaven with you. And so communion is a symbol of the new covenant. It's meant to bring power into our life and determination into our life. It's meant to take care of sin and bitterness. It's the, the most renewing thing that we do on a regular basis. But many have just turned it into a ritual, to religion. Meaningless is just something you do. And so we're going to partake now. Uh, the worship team's going to come. I'm going to pray. And then uh, you sit as long as you need to in order to take care of confessing sin and any bitterness. And then uh, I'd encourage you to come up. If you can kneel, do that. If it's difficult to kneel, you can stand. Uh, and then we'll eat the bread and drink the cup as we worship together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for providing for us a free gift to heaven. And as we live our life now, we want to live it with power and grace and beauty, freedom. And you designed that this service would be a time in which that happens. Help us, each one of us, uh, to think clearly and to, 
Eat the bread and drink the cup as an act of remembrance that renews us and fills us with power. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.